I was listening to a podcast uh, recently, and on this podcast, they told the story of Polaroid. Polaroid, uh, which we're all of an age, probably we remember Polaroid. Uh, Polaroid had this incredible innovation. Um, the inventor, his daughter one time, after he took a picture, immediately came to him and wanted to see the picture. And he thought, wouldn't it be great if you could do that? And went on to develop instant film. And of course, there was a period of time where Polaroid dominated that market. And their model was to sell cameras cheap and make their money on the film, right? So you could buy cameras anywhere. You could buy, you could buy a Polaroid camera at Kmart, right? And they didn't make much money on the cameras, but they made 70% profit on the film. And this has sometimes been called the razor and blade model of, of, uh, of, of sales, because similarly, uh, if you sell a razor cheap, you make all your money on the replacement blades, right? And this is what Polaroid was doing, and they were making a ton of money. Now, some of you know what happened. And what happened was, digital cameras. And when the technology for digital cameras, which interestingly, Polaroid was messing around with too. They were very intent on, on developing from within, and so they were messing around with the technology around digital cameras. But the digital camera era came, and Polaroid was making so much money with print film, that they leaned into thinking that people still wanted to be able to print their photos, and they failed to keep up with the pace of change and the radical nature of change that the digital camera revolution brought, where suddenly no one wanted to print their pictures anymore. And everyone, and this was before, of course, we had cameras on our phones even, but people were content to have their digital pictures in their digital camera and handle them however they handled them. And there was no market for Polaroid cameras like that. And Polaroid ended up filing for bankruptcy. I find Polaroid's experience uh, perhaps somewhat similar to the church. And here I want to say Big C Church for just a few minutes because what happens in individual congregations at any given time is much more driven by what's happening locally than maybe broader trends. But I think that something similar happened to the church. For a long time in the West and particularly in America, the church defined the context. The church, big C, was such a core part of the, of the identity of our nation, of the identity of our communities, of society, that the church determined the context, just as Polaroid determined the instant film context. At some point, that started to change, and at first probably somewhat slowly for the church. And I suspect that somewhat like Polaroid, the church and individual churches in that dynamic continued to lean into what it had always done. Interestingly, Polaroid looked into digital cameras and they made some of them. But you see, they only made 37% profit on the digital cameras and they were making 70% profit on the film. So 
they leaned into film, they continue to lean into film, even as the context around them changed in this radical way that made their film ultimately next to useless. The church once defined the context uh, in some key ways. Everyone, even the irreligious, recognized the importance of the church in the community and in the society more broadly. And during much of that time, the church was rich in resources. The church didn't have to work very hard often to get an audience. And we're talking about church plants. There was a period of time where you, you build a church, throw up a sign, and people would show up, right? Do activities, programming, summer things for kids, and people are there, right? Resources were there. Obviously, this changed over a, slowly over a long period of time. But I think for some churches, and maybe for the big C church more broadly, if not before the pandemic, certainly in the aftermath of it, we've reached what might be seen as a wake-up moment, like Polaroid reached, where they realized that they needed to suddenly lean into this new technology that was going on, and yet so much change had happened so dramatically that trying to adapt to that change, adapt to those changes in the context, was very, very difficult and in Polaroid's case, almost impossible. What sorts of things have we seen? Well, you all are old enough and, and attentive enough to your communities to know that in the last 50 years, let's just pick that number, economics in the US have changed dramatically, right? The demographics of our communities, of our nation as a whole, have changed dramatically. There have been dramatic social changes, uh, consumer opportunities, and, and challenges have dramatically changed. Um, the increase of, of a variety of ethnicities in many parts of the country dramatically changed. People's expectations about life and, and, and community involvement have radically changed. There's been uh, deep social change on, on certain moral questions and relational questions that, that changed in one sense slowly, but then all of a sudden uh, in some respects. And, Many churches find themselves facing this bevy of contextual changes and trying to sort out how do we be the church in this moment and in this context. I think the church has always had to pay attention to its context. It's just that for a long time the church shaped the context and now here in the West the church doesn't shape that context and also so many aspects of that context changed in a relatively short period of time. Thriving churches have always attended to their context, but in these days, it is increasingly important that churches attend to the context around them. But there's an additional challenge that comes with that. As I just named, a lot of pieces of our context have changed. There's a lot to think about and look at. On top of that, if you kind of are one of those people, like for me, those political and social and moral changes, philosophical changes, deep changes in the way society even works, that's interesting to me as a thinker and a theologian, but not always to other people. So they may turn more to a practical side of things and say, let's look at our communities from a practical standpoint. But even when you do that, what do you discover? The range of things in your context that you could respond to is virtually limitless. 
Are we going to look at literacy? Are we going to look at poverty? Are we going to look at racial issues? Are we going to look at fill in the blank? Any community that goes and looks at what's going on in their context will have, again, nearly a limitless range of things that they might consider to be an issue in their community that they might respond to as a congregation. So what do we do? This is where we think a process of reflection like we have been uh, working with you uh, in indignation reflection and discernment is necessary for the church. Not the Ignatian one isn't necessary, but some process of discernment. One, to read our context and think about our context, but then to filter what does the context need and what are we as a congregation hearing from God and from each other about where we might be called to lean into what's going on into our context, in our context. Because you can't respond to it all, right? You can't, no, no organization can make that many changes and impact that many places. And on top of that, many of us, many of our congregations are now dealing with restricted resources, whether that's financial resources, which we go to, we think that all the time. But I think if you thought about it, you may be more challenged even in sort of human resources. You may have the same number of people, but the number of things each week they're willing to volunteer for has gone down dramatically in the last pick the time frame you want to pick. So we're trying to respond to our context. We see the need to respond to our context in a way that, that maybe we weren't as attentive to as Big C Church. Some of your churches have done it well through much of this time. Uh, and, and our resources are, are finite. What are we going to do and why are we going to do it? For our money, having a clear way as a group of people to reflect on these issues, to discern a path forward in our response to our context, to know it and adapt to it in a way that makes sense for who we are as a church, who our mission is, what our resources are, makes sense to us. Now, uh, maybe all of that is a little bit vague. I have a tendency to think in big, in big issues, and that doesn't always communicate to people. So I'm going to bring it down very, very narrow. Uh, about a year ago, we had uh, some meetings with uh, pastors and synod leaders talking about what's going on in the church, because we have our ear to the ground on that all the time. And one of the synod leaders that was with us talked about some, uh, some research, and I think it was kind of, it wasn't, uh, you know, official check all the boxes sort of research, but, uh, but meaningful research nonetheless on, on how different congregations were doing through and after the pandemic and why. And one of the things that he said that stuck with me, one of the greatest determinants of how well a congregation was doing post-pandemic was how tightly connected to their community they were pre-pandemic. So those churches that had a good relationship with their community were engaged in things and serving their communities through ministries and so forth in profound ways before the pandemic hit were healthier mid and post-pandemic than those churches that were just kind of doing their, whole, their own thing before the pandemic. Now, I don't have deep theological or practical or sociological explanation for that. But it does tell me that those churches that are connected to their communities 
are going to be healthier and more vital. And that's what we want to encourage you and help you in as churches. Mm -hmm.